0: Welcome to the LDS Life Podcast. To contact Kevin Williams, send him an email at kevinw at You can also visit his Facebook page at LDS Life Podcast.
1: I think it's important for people to know that they, they are capable of doing much more than they realize they are. That uh, you have to have faith, and just as much as faith is hope that whatever you believe in, whatever you want to achieve, um, as cliche as it sometimes sounds that, well, you can do it. There's so much truth to that. It's very important to realize that it can happen. And we're, we didn't want to start a nonprofit um, and it is so much work, but we are getting, getting there. And we've been able to, we're, I guess we're getting to the point that we can start hiring people on and we can start making us bigger and bigger and bigger if that's what we choose to do and if that's what the Lord guides us to do.
0: Welcome to the ODS Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. On this episode of the podcast, I have Nathan Ogden as my guest. Nathan Ogden was a previous guest in October of 2016. On this particular episode, we talked about a charity that him and his wife started called Share the Hope. It is a charity that donates wheelchairs to people in countries that may not have an easy time affording wheelchairs or have a hard time accessing them. We also talk about a bike ride that he did as a fundraiser about a month before his wheelchair was stolen. We also talk about his feelings when his wheelchair was stolen and how that inspired him to get more wheelchairs to other people. We also talked about some fun things that he did, such as swimming in Sun Valley at a lodge, and also repelling off of a 150-foot cliff. I enjoyed making this podcast, and I invite you to sit back and relax and enjoy the LDS Life Podcast with Nathan Ogden Part 2. It is Tuesday, June eighth, 2021. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Life Podcast. If you want to contact me, go ahead and do so. Kevin W. at LDSLifePodcast.com. That's Kevin W. at LDSLifePodcast.com. Also, you can like the podcast on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter at Kev at LDS Life Podcast. Although I don't know why you would want to go to Twitter because I have not updated my Twitter account in, gosh, probably over a year. I don't know why. I'm just not a Twitter person. I should probably update it. Uh, Nathan Ogden is my guest. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Glad to be on that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while. You were on my podcast back on, I believe it was October 20th, October 21st, somewhere around there, 2016. If people want to go clear back. Wow. And yeah, to the awesome. podcast. It was a good podcast, actually. I listened to it again in preparation for this interview, and I thought it was great. Now you have uh, you've had some things happen to you since then. Let's talk about a terrible thing that I think is highly despicable. You got your wheelchair stolen, and I do want to talk a little bit about that. But then you started Chair for the Hope.
1: Chair, yeah, Chair the Hope.
0: Yeah, Chair the okay. Hope and yeah let's how did you feel when your wheelchair was stolen i'll bet you were angry i would have been i'd have been swearing up a storm
1: (laughs) well it uh i don't know i guess i don't fully look at it that way um we had uh, just got back from doing a a big bike ride that we may talk about later Mm -hmm. and uh we were at a boise state football game and my wife had carried me down to some seats as I'm a quadriplegic. And then at halftime, she was carrying me back up, piggyback up, back up to my my wheelchair. And as we came around the corner, it was gone. And yeah, somebody had taken my wheelchair. And I think at first, well, first we we're like, well, where do we put me down? Because we didn't have any place to set me. We had to, someone had to, out of one of the food courts there had to grab a chair of an employee and bring it out so we could set me down for a little bit. But uh, it was, I guess I didn't think it was stolen immediately. I just thought, well, some kid just came by and probably moved it, or maybe as an employee, thought that they, you know, the wheelchairs needed to be in a different section. I don't know. And uh, yeah, within the next 20, 30 minutes, we realized it was nowhere around and we couldn't find it. And I, I remember after we got home, my wife and I were laying in bed and we were laughing about it. Just thinking, wow, what does the, uh, what does the Lord have in store for us now?
0: So let me, let me ask you though, cause I, and I know I'm ignorant. First of all, I know you're quadriplegic, but do you, if my understanding, you don't have, you cannot feel anything from your chest down, correct?
1: Uh, yes. I don't feel anything from the chest down. I can't move my triceps. Um, or my hands um, oh you so
0: oh, you, oh, you, can't move any of those
1: no I do feel I do feel a lot of nerve pain throughout my body
0: oh um, gosh quite a bit, okay.
1: but, uh, I don't like if you punch me in the leg I'm not going to feel it
0: I have to ask because I've actually heard of this happening have you ever warmed up something in the microwave put it on your leg and then the plate was so hot it was burning your pants or something and you didn't know you couldn't feel it
1: yeah I've done stuff like that all the time. I've been too close to, to like fires and we're out camping or something. And the next day I'll have a blister the side of size of like a, you know, a dollar bill. Oh man. Side of my leg.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm sure you've heard of art bird. He used to be with the Baltimore Ravens. He, he wrote about something like that in his book, but it's interesting because uh, did you ever get your wheelchair back or not?
1: No, we never found it. We had a, a lot of people in Boise searching all around Boise State, like every classroom, bush, I mean, the river, everywhere we could think of.
0: I wonder where it's at. I wonder who took it. but uh, well,
1: Hopefully, whoever
0: has it is using it for the right reasons. <laughs> let's hope so. But it was a very expensive wheelchair. So then the next day... You had twenty three thousand come in, correct?
1: Yeah, well, let's, I guess to clarify it, I am a quadriplegic, but it's still a manual wheelchair, so it's not an electric wheelchair.
0: Oh, uh, really?
1: Yeah. No, I don't use an electric
0: wheelchair. Why is that? Just that uh, you, you want a good workout? You don't like them, or what?
1: Uh, we never did from the beginning. They were they were thinking of putting me in one, and my wife and I decided no. We we're like now that. The sooner he gets an electric wheelchair, the weaker he'll probably get. You know, the weaker my lungs may get, and I may not live as long. And so. Uh,
0: Yeah. Okay. And then uh, one thing you have to consider is a power outage. If there's a power outage and your electric your battery's dead, you're toast.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it was 19 years ago I broke my neck, so I've been in a manual wheelchair wheelchair since. And yeah, granted, I can't maybe go as fast. I can't downhill um, yeah. or I, you know, there's a lot of places I can't quite get to because of uh, if I had an electric wheelchair, I could,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: um, I don't know. I, I find I'm able to do a lot more things because people can help me easier. They can just grab my wheelchair and throw it in the truck or take the wheels off and put it somewhere. And so it's allowed me to do a lot more things. that would be harder, much harder if I had, an electric wheelchair i mean just a year and a half ago i made it to the top of machu picchu in peru oh wow you know you don't do that in an electric wheelchair
0: no you don't so so i'm waiting for the day where you can actually get around in the snow let's say a foot deep of snow they can just put skis on your wheelchair they can put it somehow they can make it surround the whole entire wheel. so it's like a like a manual snowmobile do they have something out there like that
1: they they do have chairs out there that will I call them tank chairs
0: mm-hmm.
1: that have big tread on them almost like a tank. I mean they can go over like down trees. Um, oh wow. But yeah, they go through they can go through snow, mud, not just like little mud puddles, like full-on eight inches of mud deep. They'll just fly through it like it's nothing. Uh,
0: but, okay.
1: So it's it's like an it's an electric wheelchair on steroids. It's made for the outdoors.
0: Yeah. So my understanding is you got the twenty three thousand dollars with a GoFundMe. I guess I guess that was an what I read in that article. I guess it was just enough to cover for your next wheelchair, correct? Or it was enough anyway. I'm sure you got more. And uh, tell uh, us. A-
1: no, we 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 didn't raise a whole lot more than that because we didn't need it. But anything more than what the wheelchair costs um went towards buying wheelchairs for others
0: and that's how you came up with this idea by the way just so people know this happened on the 22nd of september 2017 what we're talking about here when he lost his wheelchair got it stolen But then I guess what you and Heather were brainstorming and you said, what does, you know, you and Heather were laughing. What does the Lord have in store? And somehow you came up with the idea of your charity.
1: Well, no, I didn't want anything to do with running a charity. Um, But it was four months. Well, about four and a half months before I, uh, before I had my wheelchair stolen And we have four kids. Um, At that time, they were 18 down to 10. And uh, our family decided we needed to do something big to help others. And in particular, others who needed mobility. And so we decided we were going to do a bike ride and to raise money. And so we rode bikes from Mount Bachelor in Bend, Oregon, where I broke my neck at the ski resort down to Los Angeles at Santa Monica Pier in 12 days. And uh, we're not a bike riding family. At that time when my wife brought the idea up to our kids, um, we're an athletic family, but we're not a bike riding family. So we had six in the family. We had three bikes and two of them had flats. And we, uh, but four months later, we we took off on a adventure along the California coast through the redwoods on the beaches um, and raised 40, I think it was around 42, $43,000. Wow. And the purpose of that was to give it to the wheelchair foundation based out of California. And they've been giving out wheelchairs at that time for about 17 years. And they have given out almost a million wheelchairs in 17 years. And my only stipulation was, I will help raise money for you, but I want you to help us to go on a, I want to be able to go on a trip. I want to bring my kids down to deliver wheelchairs somewhere that you do that. I want them to experience that. I want them to see the fruit of their labors. If they're going to work that hard, I, I want them to see lives being changed. And uh, so, yeah, that was a very, Very difficult, but extremely rewarding. Um, Less than two weeks as we went along that doing as a family doing about 120 miles a day. Um, So yeah, it was kind of ironic when we get home and then a month later, my wheelchair was stolen at the football game. So because of that, being stolen we were kind of done we were done with our fundraiser and then with my wheelchair being stolen then we met different people who wanted to help and we were able to raise some more money to donate to the wheelchair foundation and then uh, from there we had other people reaching out to us in the valley asking hey we've, we've got a, some neighbors with or have no money but they have an eight-year-old son who really needs a specialized chair. And I was like, I don't have any money, guys. I, I know you heard I did this fundraiser, but it's not my money, I gave it all away. You know, I don't run a nonprofit. And it was shortly thereafter, Heather and I decided, well, maybe, maybe we should have some control over that. And maybe we can do a lot of good. And maybe this is something that we should, we should work on. Um, we get it. We understand it. We live it. So we'll fight for it. And uh, that's, so it was about three years ago, just over three years ago is when we officially became a nonprofit. And since then, we've given out or have committed 2,200 wheelchairs in, uh, I think, four or five different countries that we actually personally go and deliver them. We've been to Costa Rica and Mexico multiple times, been to Peru, Dominican Republic. Um, This year we're going to Africa, next year's Argentina. So we try and do two or three trips a year that we take people with us, um, families with us to go deliver wheelchairs and have fun. And that's part of our focus is a one of the main things that started our focus as a nonprofit was It was all based around mobility and wheelchairs because, you know, $42,000 is a lot of money. Yes. uh, Every wheelchair, we work with the wheelchair foundation because they already have their connections of how to get the chairs to different countries and we use those, but uh, every wheelchair is only $150. And that's, that's not just the chair, but that is delivered to another country. So it's a phenomenal price for what they get.
0: You know, I have to say, I okay. So this fundraiser, so you did this bike ride a month before your, uh, before your wheelchair was stolen. I thought it was after the fact. Okay.
1: Oh, yeah, it's just shortly before.
0: Okay, well, uh, I have to admit, I'm not a very emotional person, but I started getting emotional when I read about a kid named Tommy. That was four years old that you helped uh, give him a wheelchair. That that was very special. I, I would imagine you were a little teary-eyed seeing an innocent little kid getting a wheelchair like that.
1: It is. And I've, I've been able to, um, I guess, being able to go on these trips. I've seen that many, many times. And uh, that's one of the fun things for me to do is say I've got a, you know, a family with us on a a trip in the Dominican Republic and they're standing around and we have all these, you know, we're giving out a hundred different wheelchairs and we have all these people standing around kind of doing different things. And I'll see a child that's sitting over on one of their parents' laps and maybe they're six, seven, eight years old. And I get to call over one of their teenage kids or one of the parents and say, all right, hey, Jeff, this is your turn now. I need you to go over there and lift that child up and put them in their first wheelchair, which means now that this will be the first time, and this is the best part, when you see, you put a a child or even some adults in their first chair, and they start to push and you can see them turning left and right in circles and moving around and the smile on their face. And uh, for many of these kids, that's the first time they have ever had the chance to choose whether they were going to go left or right and do it on their yeah. own. Their whole life has been somebody else making those choices for them.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to get back to the football game Uh, issue though because um, part of my ignorance, aren't there places if you are in a wheelchair that you can go and watch the game? You and Heather just decided to sit in the stands with everyone else because I heard a lot of these games you can sit really high up in the stadium and watch the football game in a wheelchair.
1: You can and it depends on if you're at a football game, basketball game, a concert. It depends on where you're at, how good the seats are. And oh there are certain sections um that you get put into um but we at that particular game uh we were there with some friends who had some season tickets and they had a couple extra ones so we, oh. were, we were sitting down by them
0: so you were at the mercy of your friends then yep and okay so maybe that it makes that
1: sense their fault the chair got stolen
0: so if you go to a game again, and you're in a situation like that, I would imagine you're probably going to have one of your kids or somebody guard your wheelchair, I, I would imagine.
1: Uh, uh, probably not. Oh. I don't know. I, I believe in people. My, the, my guess is nobody stole the wheelchair. Um, my guess is it was probably... You know, some high school or college kids that maybe had a little bit to drink or maybe hadn't been drinking and just were like, hey, let's go, let's go do some Papa Willys in this for a little bit and out in the parking lot and we'll bring it back. You know, and for whatever reason, it never came back. That's that's my idea of probably what happened because they somebody had, we don't have footage of it, but there was somebody said they did did see some kids with a wheelchair or they couldn't say if it was mine or not that uh were out on one of the sides of the pavilion playing around with it oh jeez. so but you know the next day when all of a sudden it hits the news and there's a people find out it's a felony and they're not gonna they're not gonna just hey i did it yeah a, and it was a um, it was a really cool thing for our community though. Like uh, the, the news just latched on to it and um, so many people reached out and said, listen, where can we meet? Where can we look? What can we do? And uh, it was fun to be a part of that, to, to see so many people wanting to help um, who didn't even know who we were.
0: Yeah well so I want to talk about that issue real quick because you said that the youth have learned a lot of philanthropy have you have you done anything with uh, chair of the hope with the, your youth group at church or just youth in general or how have they learned philanthropy do you think
1: uh, there's been diff- we haven't done it specifically with the church um, but many of the kids who who go to our church have helped out
0: mm-hmm. in different
1: ways and have jumped on and they've been on committees or they've done fundraisers at school. Um, they've done little jogs. They've, they've gone door to door um, asking for funds. There was a girl this last fall, we were doing a fundraiser um, to help raise money for one of her teachers to be able to, he has MS. And we were helping him to be able to get a, an accessible vehicle so that he could drive. Because it oh. was, getting, was getting pretty bad. And so uh, this little girl was uh, six years old. On one weekend, went out door to door and raised over $600.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's incredible.
1: It's A little six-year-old walking around with pieces of paper.
0: Oh, wow. That's really neat. By the way, apology uh, for those of you that are listening. I realize my microphone was down. It's, uh, it's up now. Do you notice a difference, Nathan? I do. Oh, I hope mine wasn't too low before.
1: Uh, no, I could hear you fine. Okay.
0: Well, anyway. All right. I guess I should uh, check every time. Anyway, we'll carry on. Um, so that, yeah. So, gosh, if I was down there in Boise, Idaho, I'd help you out maybe on a Saturday. That would be really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, it, was, it was fun.
0: How do you raise money for your foundation? Do you do auctions? Do you do bake sales? What do you do to raise money?
1: Uh, not bake sales unless somebody wants to do their own little, little deal. Um, we have to go bigger than that. If you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to make a bigger difference, you've got to think bigger.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm never against that. I think it's great. It's if, if some family or kid wants to do a bake sale and raise money, then phenomenal. But uh, so we've done um, we've done a few galas. We did three galas, and then COVID hit, and so we backed off. Um, we've done kind of an online uh, last year for during COVID. We did a um, an online fundraiser. And uh, it, it just depends and we've, we've worked with different groups. We go to different corporations and asking them for donations. so you know we may get a company that donates 10,000 and maybe 30,000. Um, so we're still pretty young at this whole deal, but um, the last few years we've been able to raise between 150 and 180,000 a year through through just different events that we put on and just people who are donating. Just get on and donate.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so what's your next fundraiser? Do you have one coming up?
1: Uh, we do. We have a lot of different things that we're working on, but, and I have to admit, I don't necessarily like putting on fundraisers like events. Yeah. It can be a lot of work, but, uh, what we are doing right now is and this is kicking off on, I believe I can look, I think it's the 18th of this month. Oh okay, is we're making a big push for um, people to become, uh, we're calling them hope dealers. And what that means is you're, you're signing up for a monthly donation with Chair of the Hope to become a, a member, kind of a subscription with Chair of the Hope.
0: But, That's a good uh, idea.
1: You're going to be Hope Dealers. And to us, our goal is to, to get in two weeks time, we're calling it the 1,000 Chair Challenge. We want to get a 1,000 people signed up to donate $12.50 a month. So what that means is over the course of a year, you'll have donated one wheelchair. And if you oh, want nice. more than that, great. But if we can get a thousand people to just commit to twelve dollars and fifty cents a month, which is less than you pay for Netflix, it's less than two drinks at Starbucks.
0: It's less than two Big Macs. Yeah, I had to yeah. throw that in there.
1: So, not that I'm a it,
0: Big Mac fan, but I know people that listen that are. So go ahead. Less than two Big Macs.
1: It's a. Uh, it changes somebody's life and not just one person's life. It's been figured out that for every wheelchair that is given away, it affects seven people's lives in a very positive way. Their family, their caregivers, their, the others, neighbors, people who are helping them to be able to live their life. It frees them up and allows them to live a, a different life. And even more than that, the best thing is it allows we don't just want to give out wheelchairs we want to empower people we want to empower the people who are getting the chair so that they realize they have value and that they can go learn to work that they can pick up a trade that they have they have something they can do and and we've seen that and we have little little videos we've gone back to countries and met people who are now um, like this one guy down in, uh, in Mexico in uh, Guanajuato he is now making uh, sole inserts for shoes which is very big in Mexico people are always buying those and now he makes those and sells them and his wife sells them in a little corner store and it helps provide for their family where he wasn't able to do that before and that's what's really fun about this is being able to see those differences made. And so the more, the more money that we're able to bring in, then the more trips we can do, the more wheelchairs we can give out, the more, more people we take on these trips. And that's the other part of it is helping other people learn how to be philanthropic and to teach them this is, this is how you can give. And it doesn't mean you have to give through our foundation. Just find something you're passionate in and, and give. Give it yourself. Give it your money. Give it whatever it is that you have to give. Just give.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, so those are kind of our two focuses. And then we were able to, because of COVID, we weren't able to, we had to postpone a couple of our trips till the end of the year. Um, so we pivoted. And instead of just doing... You know international travel we really focused on our communities and that's what we went we started building ramps and sidewalks and accessible decks and kind of redoing people's yards so that their family can get out and and enjoy their their yard and their neighborhood um like everyone else because if you've got a a child in a stroller that they can't get out because many of these kids with different abilities and that's what we like to call them not disabilities, but different abilities. Yeah. That, uh, they, they want to be out their family. They may not be able to walk or even crawl. They can't, a lot of them can't talk, whatever it is, but it doesn't mean that they they should be stuck inside or just sitting on a deck while their family goes out and does stuff like, uh, we want to help provide that opportunity. So we've been able to do some neat local projects in, uh, in Idaho, in Utah, and uh, we're working on one in Maryland right now. Uh, oh, wow. We want to in Mississippi soon where we're helping retrofit homes so that people have better accessibility.
0: Yeah, that's really neat. Now, uh, a couple of things I want to say, and then I want to ask you a couple more questions. This is a perfect example of somebody And we'll even go as far as Heavenly Father, since this is an LDS Live podcast, of making lemonade out of lemons, isn't it? You could have been very angry and many of us would have given you a pass, but you turned it into something good. Not that we want your wheelchair taken ever again or stolen or whatever, but you, for some reason, made lemonade out of this, didn't you, figuratively speaking?
1: Uh, yeah, and I th- I think there's a couple things to that because I I never want people to just think well Nathan did this because it's not me. Um, two things: one, it is I, you know, I believe in God and I believe that there's a purpose for for everything that happens. We may not know what those purposes are for a while, but two is. Um, you have to surround yourself with the right people. And I Amen to married a, I married an amazing woman who won't let me, even if I wanted to sit in bed and watch movies all day, which other people would probably go, you know what? I don't blame him. I don't know what he can do. You know, he's a quadriplegic. Who wants yeah. to who wants to have to deal with that? And my wife's been one to always push me and um, help me believe in myself. And then that's translating into us helping our kids to, to believe that way. And then they, they help me. I mean, my, my girls, or I guess all my kids, we only have two living in the house still. But um, at nighttime, you know, each of them take turns, helping transfer me on the bed, um, you know, taking my shoes and socks off and getting anything that I need um they'll help me in and out of my truck and uh they're also the ones my kids have been the ones that have helped me you know down in zions national park in southern utah they're they're like dad we don't want to go on a hike without you we want to go with you and
0: they've
1: got two behind me and two in front of me and they're pulling me and pushing me up these hills and trails and you know we're all about to get killed but it's fun and it makes great memories One of the only things you can take with you is memories
0: is it hard to hike because i've been hiking some trails just in general doesn't matter where some trails are really really rocky some you have to get on all fours just to get out of the trail get onto the trail or get past the trail or whatever how do you do that in a wheelchair there i'm sure you've figured out a way
1: Yep. You, uh, I mean, it depends if it's too bad, you know, really rough then I, it's not worth it, but, uh, we've been on some pretty rough stuff. And if you just, especially just being in a manual chair, we pop me back in a wheelie. Now you just have these two big wheels. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so you can, somebody in the back, you can have others grab the, the front bars. And if all you have is two big wheels holding you and not or to go on and not those little ones in the front that get stuck. You can bounce over almost anything.
0: Do you ever wear a helmet and pads just in case you might get, so that you don't accidentally stumble over a big rock or something like that?
1: No, I don't worry about me as much. I worry about others a lot and about what's going to happen to them. I, uh, when I was down in Mexico, this last December, when we were giving out wheelchairs, we were down by Chichen Itza. and um, we were going to these cenotes, which is these just basically these big caves filled with water out in the middle of nowhere, and we were trying to get down into one of these, and they have you know in other countries, you know they don't have the Americans with Disability Act, so. What they consider to be a wheelchair-accessible ramp, and they'll paint it blue, is extremely steep and unsafe. But we wanted to get me down closer to the water, down one of these little trails. And so my daughter was behind me trying to go backwards down, because if it was too steep. If I went forward, I'd just fall out of my chair. Yeah, and you don't want it down started down backwards as a railing on one side and a rock wall on the other and she the weight was just too much because the ramp was so steep and someone forgot to grab onto the front of the bar to slow me down and her foot slipped and she went down and then I hit the railing and flipped and went down into the rock wall and I ripped a uh, ripped a bunch of skin off my elbow and knee as I went down across this this rock Ouch. wall in Mexico. And it took me about six months for my leg to to finally heal and close up. Is because I have such Whoa. poor blood circulation. But it was fun.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, not to make light of it, but you couldn't feel the injury, could you? I imagine if you could feel it, how bad it would hurt.
1: Yeah, I can't. I don't feel it but my my body still recognizes it yeah so it's it's weird like you like I may not feel say I'm in the shower and the water is really hot um I don't feel it burning me but my leg can start to jerk
0: oh okay
1: um, and that doesn't always happen like I said earlier I mean I've burnt myself and didn't realize it until there were blisters but some, a lot of times if something's too cold or too hot um, my legs will start to spasm. Like kind of saying hey, wait a minute. <laughs>
0: Something yeah, it's like blew, a reflex.
1: But I don't know what it is. Yeah.
0: I guess it's kind of like uh, uh, back in 2010 I was at the Cottonwood Heights swimming pool. Jumped off of a 30 foot high platform and no matter how hard I tried to stay straight, my body was jerking all over the place. I'm sure if I did it over and over and over again, I would have figured out how to keep my body straight, just like the Olympic divers dive off of these big platforms. Uh, so it's, it's probably similar to that, I would imagine, except for 30. maybe your whole body's not jerking, but your leg or whatever is getting affected. Yeah. 30 um, feet,
1: that's pretty high.
0: Yeah. Now, I can't remember if we talked about this or not. But you went repelling. Did we did we talk about that on the last podcast or do you remember do you remember?
1: Uh, I don't know. We might have. I I had done it before our last podcast.
0: Uh, I guess I read on the website you went repelling off of a 150 foot cliff. How did you do that?
1: Uh, well, I had to do it with somebody else because it was uh so we had to tie me off Hooked me up, and then we had to have someone go with me because I wasn't able to push myself off the cliff well enough. So I would have been kind of dragging along it for quite a while. But it was still pretty amazing. I mean, we were, we came off the top, um, had some great guys helping me. About halfway down, we stopped, um, and we had, two of us based off the same rope. And uh, that's a lot of weight for one rope. And I remember up at the top, we just had people lowering us down. And I remember we stopped to kind of look around and enjoy the view. This is down in Southern Utah. And then we dropped. I think the guys up top, you know, it slipped or one of them was adjusting, but we didn't fall far, maybe like six inches to a foot. Oh, okay. But when you're at that point, you know, 75 feet, 80 feet in the air, a foot falling, free falling feels like you're going all the way. Oh, yeah. It was was crazy. We, We dropped, we fell a little bit. They caught us. We bounced. And then you could just hear that rope, like, creaking. I'm like, are you sure this thing's strong enough for both of us? He's like, yeah, I mean, it should be but it's right towards the top of its abilities. I'm like, didn't you think we should have checked that better first? But it was fun. Yeah, it was, and I, as fun as that was for me, it was more fun to watch my kids do that. Um, all of them oh, yeah. went, off, went off that. And uh, they were, I think my youngest was like eight at the time, seven or eight. And it was neat to see them overcome their fears of something that big and majestic and uh, back over the edge and drop down. So uh, to me, that was the fun part was watching them.
0: You know, I get annoyed when I have done cliff jumping in the past, although I've only done it once, but when I talk about it or when I'm rock climbing, people will say, Oh, you have an advantage. You're blind. You can't see just how high you are. Well, I have a pretty good idea because I have climbed the rock and probably have a pretty good idea how high I am. And yes, I have been nervous on occasion, but like you said, it's about overcoming your fear and um, you know, if the worst it's things ha- a, Oh, what's like, that?
1: Like you being blind, jumping off a 30 foot platform or cliff jumping somewhere, in my mind, that takes far more bravery than me repelling off a 150-foot cliff. Like, I, I think, to me, that would be much harder. Because you don't get a – you have no clue how long till you're going to hit. Like, you have – you don't know if you're fully twisting. You know, you don't – you can't totally tell all that.
0: Well, the cliff that I jumped off in McCall – Back in the summer of 1992, it was a 10-foot-high cliff. Um, we talked about this on my last podcast. And I had a fear of high water, so I didn't dare go further than that. Mm-hmm. But I did jump off a 30-foot-high platform. And yeah, you're right. I didn't know when I was going to hit. I just, uh, I guess I just didn't worry about it because the water was, what, 12, 13 feet deep? And I knew the pool was long enough and... Well, if the worst thing happened to me, not to make light of it, but if the worst thing ever happened to me of getting injured or something, well, hopefully I would overcome it pretty quickly was my thought.
1: Well, that's probably how I look at a lot of things. It's the advantage benefit outweighs the risk. Um, It was pretty sketchy getting me to the top of Machu Picchu. Yeah. uh, very sketchy and i i got very seriously hurt and the guys that were helping me but uh we made it and uh that was one neat experience because as i was sitting up on machu picchu and people are coming by leaving um they people would stop and say hey can i take a picture of you oh my initial thought was I mean, every now and then I might get that just because I've spoke at different conferences. But not Machu Picchu. I mean, who's going to know you there? But I asked this guy, I said, well, why would you want a picture of me? I got all these like wild alpacas walking around. And he said, I never thought I would see someone in a wheelchair when I climbed Machu Picchu. Yeah. And that was really, that was cool that, um, I had done something. I'm not the first person who's, who's a quadriplegic to be, to get to the top of Machu Picchu. Um, I know that, but it was a pretty neat experience nonetheless.
0: Yeah. Now I want to ask you, uh, I want to go back to the football game and you lost your wheelchair. Where, how did you deal with this? Cause I would imagine it took you a while to get a, a wheelchair. Did you customize your second wheelchair?
1: um i i usually have an extra wheelchair i rarely use it oh okay i was able to use a chair it's not as comfortable it doesn't fit as good um but i i typically will have something in our garage oh okay in case something happens to mine and i'm not just stuck good idea it took us a few months to be able to get one in and get it the right way um but we were able to do it. So it was a little inconvenient, well, a little more painful because of the, the way the chair fit me, but yeah, it was well worth it because I mean, I guess what's a few months of inconvenience to me when, because of that, it allowed us to, to give people their first wheelchair and change their life for years and years to come.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, you went swimming in Sun Valley. I, was this at a Hot Springs?
1: Uh, oh, yeah, just uh, last week. Okay. It the, no, I was at the, the pool, just at Sun Valley Lodge.
0: Did you just uh, wait in the pool? Because obviously, a quadriplegic, you couldn't go down to the deep end and swim, could you? Unless there's something I'm missing about how quadriplegics do that.
1: I can actually float on my back really good and I can kind of do the backstroke. I can't like put my arms straight up in the air, but I can move my arms back and forth. And oh, so okay.
0: So did can, you, okay. I can float
1: better on my back now than I could before I was paralyzed.
0: I'll bet. So you, you did from what it sounds like, go down into the deep end, however deep that was. Oh
1: yeah. I, oh, that's okay. where I prefer to be. So I, I didn't this time, but typically I'll go up uh, and just put my wheelchair right to the edge of the pool. Okay. And then I'll lean forward and fall into the pool. Um, mostly because I know it's scaring everybody watching. But uh, yeah. I've also noticed that even though people think, what's this guy doing? Is he committing suicide? No one ever jumps in to help me.
0: <laughs> oh, oh so, no.
1: For the most part, I can... I mean, usually I won't do that unless I know I've got somebody watching me. Yeah, because sometimes it's it's hard for me to flip back around onto my back. Um, oh yeah, I can do it fine, but some every now and then I can't, and so I do make sure someone's there to so I don't drown.
0: So was this a hot springs that a hot spring a pool powered by a hot springs? Then,
1: um, I don't know. It was just at the lodge. It was just there their pool it's a big round pool um that they have at the lodge so okay i don't, I don't know how it's heated but i know it was really warm because i it don't sounds like, like it poetry.
0: might be similar to the pool in hagerman i don't know if you know what i'm talking about it could be yeah i know i know what you're talking about yeah okay yeah there's two po- one's banbury hot springs i'm talking about the other one though I think Banbury Hot Springs, though, is in another town near Hagerman. I can't remember the town off the top of my head. But there is one in Hagerman that's inside, and it's huge. I think it is round, if I'm not mistaken, with a big log in it. In it.
1: I know um, what you're talking about. Okay. But uh, I haven't been swimming in, though. I've been swimming in some other ones down that way.
0: But yeah, there's a lot of hot springs down there, a lot of pools powered by hot springs. It's great. Oh yeah. Well, um, anything else that, uh, anything else you want to cover?
1: No, I just, I, I think it's important for people to know that they, they are capable of doing much more than they realize they are. That, uh, you have to have faith and just as much as faith is hope. That whatever you believe in, whatever you want to achieve, um as cliche as it sometimes sounds that well you can do it there's so much truth to that it's very important to realize that it can happen and we're we didn't want to start a non um and it is so much work but we are getting getting there and we've been able to we're, i guess we're getting to the point that we can start hiring people on and we can start making this bigger and bigger and bigger. If that's what we choose to do. And if that's what the Lord guides us to do.
0: Yeah. So, now, do you think that you will get any government funding or not? Cause some nonprofits are entirely against that.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm not against government grants. Um, it depends on if they totally dictate how I can use the funds. Yeah, Uh, there's a lot of corporations that will give and they they dictate how you can use the funds. So I think it's just is it something that fits within our uh, our mission? And does it fit within our, I guess, our integrity and what we believe is right?
0: Yeah. All right. One last question. Do you have a calling in the church? And if so, what is it?
1: I do right now. I work with the teachers quorum.
0: And Um, how do you uh, enjoy it?
1: I I enjoy it. They're a rowdy bunch of kids. they I think we have eighteen of them in our quorum right now. So there's a lot of them. But uh we have a lot of fun together and um I I give them respect and I I think I've earned theirs. So it's uh been it's been fun so far.
0: Yeah, I'll bet. Um when I was a teacher I was more mellow than a deacon. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: When I was a deacon, at least, uh, most of my, uh, deacons, most of my, I don't know what the last year of being a deacon, I had a huge crush on a girl. We'll call her Gina, even though that wasn't her name, but I'm not going to use her real name for her protection. And all I could talk about is Gina, this Gina, that sings songs about Gina. In fact, uh, yeah, that's all I'll say about that for now on the podcast. For her protection, I'm not revealing any more information. Gina, Gina. Yes.
1: All
0: yeah, right. Well, well, I think I'll that... track
1: down. Maybe I'll track down who she is.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, um, actually, if you don't mind sticking with me real quick after the podcast here, I do want to yep. talk to you about something. But if there's nothing else you want to talk about, I will talk to you all later, folks.